Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the B2B Legion podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lohenbrand. I'm the managing director of Brightvision as well as host of this podcast. And today's subject is leadership strategy and how they are connected and also in relationship to sales and lead generation. And we're going to discuss that with an awesome guest here today, Adam Halim, who's the senior vice president of business development at Flip, a very successful Canadian company growing like crazy. With that short introduction, so good to have you on the podcast today, Adam. Welcome. Thank you, Jacob. I really appreciate you having me as well. So before we dive into today's topic, maybe you can give us a little bit of background of yourself and uh, where you're coming from and what you've been doing before uh, Flip and so forth, and a little bit about what's Flip for those of the listeners who haven't come across your company yet. Sure, I'll start with uh, what Flip is, and then I'll give you uh, some uh, fun tidbits on my uh, biography. So uh, Flip is a B2C and B2B company, and on the B2C side, we offer an award-winning free shopping app and website that brings circular ads, coupons, and deals right to your phone. Uh, and we let shoppers or we help shoppers plan their weekly shopping trip and on average save them, save them about $45 a week. Uh, the app has 50 million downloads and millions of shoppers use it every single week. Um, so that is what really sets up our B2B business uh, where we offer retailers and CPG uh, companies technology to create uh, and distribute those coupons, weekly ads, value and savings content um, to the shopper. And so it's a two-sided business, uh, which makes it uh, really fun and uh, gives us a lot of opportunities to sell in a very unique way. And so on the background side, so I've been selling, <laughs> what I like to say, I've been selling since I was like 15 years old. Um, this is through businesses I would start on my own with my friends uh, or through summer jobs where I would somehow gravitate toward the worst door-to-door sales jobs you could possibly um, take. But I had a passion for selling and I also had a passion for um, uh, software and technology. And so I started at the University of Toronto. Uh, I studied computer science and political science. Um, and then in the third, my third year of school, I was actually also in a band. So this is a, a rock band. And so we ended up getting signed to a record deal through TVT Records. And I left school for four years and we toured the wor- world and played. And then after that wrapped up, I thought, okay, I think I've ruined my career and my life now. Uh, and, and so I went back to school, finished my degree because my parents probably would have uh, disowned me if I didn't, although they were supportive of the music side. Um, And then upon graduation, I went to Oracle for about a year and a half. And then um, I, in the business development as a a business, uh, in the business development team. And then after that, um, I still didn't feel great um, uh, being there. And I was looking for uh, like a place where I could really grow my uh, knowledge on strategy and sales. And so I went to Procter and Gamble and somehow, I don't know why they hired me. 
Um, and I thought I would never get hired uh, there because of my uh, uh, work uh, in the band, but they actually saw that as a, a, a great leadership development example. And um, so they hired me because of the band experience, which was amazing. And then I, I held a number of sales and marketing strategy roles um, and then was also fortunate enough to lead the sales innovation and e-commerce team at P&G. And I was there for about eight years. And then I ended up at Flip, again, just like an amazing opportunity arose. And I've been at Flip for uh, three years now, leading the business development team and sitting on the executive team. Ah, awesome story. And uh, so much interesting things you learned. And uh, that's the first time I heard anybody say that it was uh, actually the band experience that took you to the executive job. <laughs> that's awesome. So very good. Yeah. So, you know what, it's, it's funny. So this is kind of like shaped the way I think about business and why I love strategy so much is I realized that I could stand out if you do things differently. Yeah. And so what I thought was a weakness was that I was probably the only person who applied who had this, uh, you know, uh, resume that talked about uh, taking a band from nothing to an independent record deal to a major record deal. Um, and I thought, it, um, this is terrible. I should be like everyone else. I should have done business school and MBA and all this. But it turns out that was wrong. And you really can win if you're different. And so that made me really love Peter uh, Thiel's saying, which is competition is for losers. So I live by that mantra. Competition is for losers. And so try yeah. to figure out ways not to compete. That's, that's a great, great saying and, and a great insight. And that is a bit how, how you work with sales and lead generation strategy and so forth uh, in a contrarian style to many ways, as I understood it. So let's dive into today's topic. And starting with a very broad question, what's your take on building a strategy or what's been the successful things of your strategy that have taken Flip to this aggressive growth and, and you know, great situation you're in today as a company? Sure. So um, maybe I can step back and just, I, I always talk about strategy with my team and I'm a, a, um, like, I've been highly influenced by Michael Porter and Roger Martin. Those are probably the two strategic thinkers that have influenced me the most. Mm. Um, and, and really, uh, I think Roger Martin, Martin says it great, which is strategies about choices. You have to make a choice between many good things. And uh, your choice, the way to test if you're making a good choice is the opposite of your choice. And again, this is Roger Martin, is also a great choice. So example he uses is you can't say, I'm gonna sell by uh, you know, um, uh, having the best customer meetings possible. It's like, what's the opposite of that? Have a terrible customer meeting? <laughs> so you're not really making a choice. So the choice is something like, I'm going to sell by leveraging this software and, and going after this specific level of an organization. Somebody else could say, I'm going to leverage uh, 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 phone dialing, uh, dial calling people and picking a different area of organization. And they're both valid. So first, you got to understand strategies about choices. Mm. Um, and then what you have to do from a sales standpoint is think about, take some time, step back and think about how you're going to make choices on everything you're going to do as a team and, and, a, and the way you're going to build your go-to-market uh, strategy, but you're going to make choices in a way that, um, you're going to make like five choices that create a unique, uh, opportunity for you to go to market. Meaning the choices you make have 
mean that you are now going to market in a way that is completely different than everyone else. And if you do it really well, you're going to market in a new and different way that leverages a strength that is unique to you. Meaning others could try to copy you, but they'll never be able to uh, win. And so that really sets the foundation of what we did at Flip. Uh, and again, what I'd say the advice to anybody is take the time to think about your strategy. Even if it takes two or three weeks of work before you move forward, um, it's worth the effort. And for us, it's like we go through strategic reviews. And I know during our first strategic um, uh, you know, session, it was, it was like three weeks of intense work that was cross-functional. And it was extremely painful but it laid the foundation for years and years of growth. And really it's about that small investment up front that can help you win in the long term. Mm. And so if I, um, I get into that, to what Flip does. So again, we're B2B and B2C. And um, we really, in order to make good strategic choices, we looked at the verticals we plan. And uh, for us to, we play in two major verticals. We're not a horizontal sales organization and those verticals are CPG and retail with a little bit of QSR. We have long sales cycles and our partnerships end up being deep and wide. So meaning like when we get a sale closed, our teams integrate spanning multiple functions at the partner and multiple levels. And so we have a high touch kind of account management um, uh, a strategy. And it means that the sales team after a deal is closed interacts with the partner at least once a month and we have multi-year partnerships. So just knowing that means we have to attack the market a little bit differently than others. And so I, I would say that the first piece of advice on any strategy is just really analyze what you're doing, where you're going and how it's different than other organizations. Um, and that was the first step we took. Mm. Great step, yeah, interesting. So that was the starting point. And uh, what led you to the next step then? What came out of that discussions? Okay, so during those discussions, we came up with these really interesting insights. And so I'm gonna name, I'm gonna give you a couple that may be uh, interesting to hear. So the first insight we got is business people hate salespeople. <laughs> interesting. Right, and, and, I, and I understand this is a tough thing to say on a lead generation podcast, but it's when you <laughs> yeah. accept that, um, you know, it becomes enlightening and, and your mind can open up to options. So, mm. I mean, all of us have been there. You, you've, you, I get emails, I, I got to say like six a day mm. from people prospecting me and yeah. I do hate them. I don't like them. Mm. I don't think anybody likes them because the fact is most people are very bad at the prospecting and uh, there's a lot of like spray and pray happening, which devalues um, the prospecting. And in addition, uh, like we've interviewed executives, when they meet with salespeople, quote unquote, they hate it. Mm. Executives make decisions and they want to be connected with somebody who can also make a decision. They don't want to be with somebody who all they're thinking about is driving a sale and closing a deal. Mm. Uh, and also executives have tons of context and expertise in their industry often. And they like it when they're dealing with somebody who has a similar level of context and understanding. Um, exactly. So, yeah. 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 Makes sense. Makes sense. And, and totally, totally true. I also get a lot of these, uh, you know, prospecting emails that are more or less badly written or, or not providing value. So I totally agree. A lot of bad prospecting going on. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, which is why this show is, I think, is so important for people to share and talk about this, and we refine yeah. the the art and science of prospecting because it doesn't have to be terrible for the for the other side. Mm. Um, so, like that first insight made us do something very different. We said that the people who are going to prospect that flip are going to be the most senior salespeople, mm. the people who we actually pay the most, who have the most experience those are the ones who are going to be writing prospecting emails. So a lot of organizations make another choice. Again, not one, one is not better than the other, but they're just different of having like, when I was at Oracle, there was a whole business development team that was dialing and making 50 calls a day to the organizations. And they were the most junior people who we literally had no idea, uh, really had no idea even what we were selling or we had no expertise in who we were selling to. We we're just trying to generate leads hmm. valid too, but different, than the choice we made. Um, and so uh, the other choice we made that was very different than other organizations, and this is pre-COVID, so I apologize, it's probably not applicable now, is we invested a lot in travel. So we had 50 people on our sales team and at all levels, we had them traveling on average once a week throughout North America. So we would, even for the smallest meeting, show up in person. Um, again, that's an expensive decision <laughs> it is. But, but given we were vertically focused and we knew that we win when our salespeople knew more about the partner's business than them, knew more about digital shopping than they did, then, then we, we knew we could show up uh, really well. And we hired very uh, smart uh, people. We often drew from uh, consulting um, and we drew from uh, like CPG companies or very sophisticated uh, media or tech companies. Um, and so we saw that as a competitive advantage for ourselves. And we said, let's get these people in front of our uh, partners. Um, and so those two small choices are an example of what, how we did something uh, very different. And there was even one more choice that was uh, probably even more radical than that. Um, so we offer part of our retail technology for free. And so uh, years ago, we had software that we could have sold. And we came to the conclusion that we could have made $50 million in North America selling this software as a SaaS offering. Yeah, but our yeah. goal was to build a company that was going to be much bigger. And so we decided that let's give away this technology for free. And in return, what we got is A, we got content from the retailer. So all the savings and deals content because we gave them the content, the technology to create it, they gave it to us for free. So interesting choice. But secondly, and this was a big reason we did it, it was instant lead generation. So we now had the ability, the sales team, to pick up the phone and call the marketing or technology teams at 95% at of North America's retailers, anytime we wanted, and they would answer because we had an in. Um, and then the last thing we did is we have reams of shopper insights and these, this, the shopper insights on their own, that data is worth millions of dollars because we're collecting about 5 billion data points uh, a month on shoppers and shopping behavior. And we can leverage that to drive uh, engagement. And so we made a lot of like very counterintuitive choices uh, early on um, that helped us get in a position where we truly were competing with nobody. There was nobody who offered what we offered and it made it very easy for us to grow the business from that uh, starting point. Um, and so it was 
it was really um, about collaborating. So the other advice I'd give you is the only reason we were able to do this is because of the sales and the lead generation people were at the table with the product people, with the engineering people, with the strategy people. It wasn't like sales is just in a corner on its own. We thought holistically about the business um, and that allowed us to unlock this amazing opportunity. Mm. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. That's fantastic. And and just a follow-up question on that. Have you been able to uphold your unique positioning or have there coming challengers to who have copied your business model and, and you know try to imitate you? And how, how do you how do you drive the long-term competitive advantage, so to say? So um, what's great about strategy, and again, I'll go there's a great article I'd recommend anybody read. It's by Michael Porter. It's very short. It's called What is Strategy? Um, and somebody gave me the advice to, to read that, and it kind of articulates something very interesting, which is if you do strategy right, you can share that with the entire world. You could broadcast to everybody, this is my strategy. And you have zero risk of being undercut or copied because they literally can't copy you because you're already owning this unique market. So if they try to copy you, it's a losing proposition for them. So the only alternative they have is maybe they're going to pick parts of your strategy to copy, but that would be great because they're going to Franken, they're going to create a Frankenstein on your competitors, create a Frankenstein on their side, because they're going to try to copy you on one piece of your um, strategy. And I'll give you a great example. There was a company called retail out there. It was an app aggregated um, weekly savings content. And they tried to copy one piece of our strategy, which is aggregating the content. But because they didn't have the partnerships with retailers, they didn't have the tech stack that they were giving away for free that actually powered the content, they were at a severe disadvantage versus us. And so we, we loved that they were following us down this route. And after about three years of work, they went bankrupt. Mm. And so we, uh, again, reconsolidated as the number one player in our industry. And we still don't have anybody who offers what we offer. That's great. That's great. And I think, yeah, these are really good insights. And uh, coming back to the insight, don't do competition. And uh, it's, you know, you're referring, of course, to, to trying to find your unique uh, proposition and unique positioning and so forth. How, how, how do you think that will work as a principle for managing your team and building a culture? Do you refer to it there as well, where you don't drive, you know, individual competitions comparing to the other salespersons? Or is it, uh, do you think it's comparable on that level as well? Great question. And that is absolutely true. So another strange choice we made as a organization is we had one sales number that the entire team is bonused on. Um, and that can be difficult because 
you are worried that you're going to have these really strong top performers who are out there generating your leads, closing your sales and driving the business. And, and your fear is they're going to be disappointed and leave. Mm. But we decided that the people we want in our organization, and this reflects, like, I, I want you to think about the culture that allowed sales and product and engineering to develop the sales strategy and sales to be considered when they were thinking about the product strategy that same kind of collaboration would have, wouldn't have existed if we didn't have things like a shared quota because it eliminates this need for people to compete internally. And again, uh, what we did is not the right choice. Like Amazon's a great example. They, 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 their sales team uh, you know, has a completely different strategy where it is all about the individual co contributor. And you make your bonus and the person next to you doesn't and it's like feast or famine between the two of you but it's appropriate for Amazon business because of the way they made other choices within their um, sales team. So for us, yeah, it is weird. It is a little bit weird that we have uh, like for the most part, a shared quota, um, but it does also allow us to make sure that the teams aren't making bad decisions just to chase money. Mm. Because we, we believe for us, money is a terrible motivator for a sales team. Um, uh, you need a little bit of it, but if it becomes if their bonus for us becomes too big a part of their total compensation, um, it can incent some very bad behavior that feeds into the narrative that partners have of, I hate salespeople. So in order for us to counteract this, I hate salespeople and build on that insight, we decided to sell without traditional salespeople. That's awesome. That, that's so interesting. And how do you feel that team without individual, you know, goals and quotas and without individual incentives as, as bonuses and so on for, on a personal level, how would they uphold on a performance level towards maybe earlier sales organization or, prefer, you know, preferable uh, other setups that you have come across in your career? Sure. So um, we did an analysis about two years ago. There's, um, there, sorry about that sound. There's a, an equation um, where you can measure the effectiveness of your sales team by looking at how much, um, and, and your product, frankly, about how much of year one sales continues in years, year two without too much incremental effort from the sales team. And I believe if you have a great product and you have a great partnership with those partners, there's a very low risk you're going to lose the business next year. And for us, it's about 80%, meaning for every dollar we sell this year, uh, next year, we're going to get 80 cents. And that's quite high. Mm. And so we believe that um, uh, that is, a, re that is a, 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 um, a product of the fact that we have salespeople who act like consultants with our retailers. And so we also did a survey with our retailers and we benchmarked against other tech companies um, and uh, our sales team scored um, significantly higher on a, like an NPS than any other tech companies. And, and I'm talking, we're competing against Facebook and Google in these mm -hmm. markets. And our partners on the CPG and retail side uh, told us your sales team is head and shoulders above everyone else. And so they call us first when they want to um, uh, get some advice on their own strategies. And so I think it has worked in that uh, regard. Uh, that's that's uh, really powerful to hear, and uh, yeah, I um, 
I, 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 I'm glad to hear that since we at Bright Vision have a similar <laughs> th uh, uh, philosophy around those parts as well. So how do you uphold that culture? Do you actively work with culture? And you talked about earlier that you talk about strategy with your whole sales team regularly. Do you also talk about culture and values or how do you get this uh, wheel to spin, so to say, on a regular basis? Uh, yeah, and, and you know what? Another uh, great question. And it's funny because we're we're on a lead generation uh, podcast, but uh, <laughs> I think it's great that we're talking strategy and culture because I, I genuinely believe you get those right. You get strategy. You get culture right. Mm. The rest of the day to day management have, is so much easier. You're you're not having to panic about like small tactical decisions because you you have these really smart people, a really amazing culture and a very clear strategy that everybody understands and people problem solve on their own strategic intent. And so culture, the, what we think about it is, um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. So before I got married, I was forced to go into marriage counseling, right? Very smartly by like <laughs> both our parents, right? Yeah. And uh, the counselor told us, you know, marriage is like swimming. You can't jump in, start swimming and then think, oh, I got this and stop you'll drown. It's an activity that never stops. So culture is the same thing. And, uh, and I emphasize this with the team. Any, every single person who joins our sales team, no matter at what level, I meet with them. And, and it, it takes a lot of time, but I want them, that's how important culture is. Like they got to hear it from me. That's how important it is. And so I, I use the same analogy. Culture is like swimming. It's constantly, the internal culture at Flip is constantly being uh, for lack of a better word, attacked from the outside. And if you aren't continually reinforcing, talking it, educating it, sharing stories from 10 years ago that highlight the culture, and we do that. We, we have a, a, a ritual where we share great stories. Like this is Black Friday and we have a Slack channel. And uh, actually today, this afternoon, a get, a get together where the whole sales team is gonna share Black Friday stories from the past. Um, in Black Story, Black Friday, you know, us being a deals and, and value and savings focused company is insane for us. It's crazy. Mm. We're often working with retailers, you know, throughout the night to get all the value and savings content out there because we see a huge spike. Yep. But the stories are incredible. And often the stories talk about how, you know, a salesperson stayed up all night to help a tech and engineering team code something, even though they didn't know how to code or work an internal system. And so these stories are just like, and this is sales, the sales team talking about it, really reinforce our culture. So you, you're, you're totally right that you, you can't um, let it go. You got to continually reinforce the culture uh, at any moment that you have. I think Jack Welch says, uh, he used to say, never miss a chance to sell your vision. And we say, never miss a chance to reinforce the culture. Uh, that's a great quote. And uh... So, so true, uh, it rings so true to us. And um, obviously <laughs> you have a, a successful recipe since uh, Flip is doing as well as it is. You know, you're over 500 team members right now. And, uh, and uh, from what I understood, growing quickly and so on, adding on new clients all the time. And uh, so obviously you're doing something really, really well there. If we just back the bind uh, back a, a little bit, and talk about lead generation. You said before that, you know, having senior people uh, with a lot of peer-to-peer -peer 
relationship, so to say, to their counterparts and so on is your strategy on doing the legion calls and, and uh, book the meetings and get a foot in the door. And <clears throat> how, how do you get them working, you know? Uh, do you have a specialized legion organization or is it a full funnel sales organization you're running? So um, our model has evolved over time. So first we started with a full funnel organization which were effectively designed so that within one pod, and we call them pod, you'd have a lead, um, and at the time it was like director level or principal, who would be tasked with bringing in new business. Mm. That business would then be passed within the pod, the same pod to an account management team. And so we did that because we wanted to ensure that we started with the end in mind, meaning we thought through let's assume we're going to get the sale. Let's assume a yes, and this is going to close and we're going to be successful. What's going to happen for the year after that? And then how can we prospect in a way where we keep that in mind? So we position ourselves right from the first phone call and email in a way that allows us to account manage effectively and efficiently. And so um, we did have people who were very senior and they got hired here and there were smart, tons of injury experience. And we told them, you're going to have to prospect. And so we lost a lot of candidates. A lot of people didn't want to do it. And I mean, we have a culture with three H's, hungry, highly intelligent, and humble. And, and it's really hard to find three. You, you can find people who are hungry, plenty of them, hungry people who are highly intelligent, they, they even exist, but hungry people who are intelligent and also have the humility to play in a team and understand where they're really strong, but where they're not, that's hard. And so I think this was an example again, around strategic choices and culture being a strategic choice and how we were able to find this really nice fit. And so we hired people who were highly intelligent, hun hungry and humble. And those people would be willing, despite their multiple years of experience, to prospect, to send out emails and to put themselves in a vulnerable position with the team and say, I'm going to be the one who's making the phone calls. I'm going to, I'm going to be running cold calls. Um, and so that was how we originally structured it. Now we've split to um, uh, because our business is more mature, we still have a new business development team, which is again, uh, um, it has very senior smart people who are out there prospecting. Um, but on the account management team, we still ask the most senior leaders if there's a, we're hitting a wall with a retailer who, who is currently a partner or a CPG, they have to go prospect too. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, that's a great, uh, structure I've got there going for you. But I, I suppose it's a lot of work to find the right candidates, as you say. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but it's so interesting to see that it works so well when you get it in place. So that's great. And, and I know you are working a lot with uh, getting the right people on board and so forth, since you have a lot of great place to work, awards, etc. Uh, on your website. And uh, so I suppose, have you find your flywheel or you know driving the driving forces uh, around sales and personal engagement in the company and the strategy and the business model and so forth have you felt that that was the key idea you defined a few years back when you had the two three weeks of strategy uh, that you defined that and now you have just got all the bits and pieces together uh, have you have you experienced that flywheel effect Absolutely. And, and, and like, thank you for highlighting that, that ground that, and this is why I go back to the beginning of the podcast is take your time and, 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 and think through the strategy as a team, 
Who cares if it takes you three weeks? Don't do anything but this. That's, that's my, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic here, but I just kind of emphasize the point. Um, really, it's worth the investment because you're right that those decisions we made early on that required a lot of thinking and iteration, like it took a while to get this to this formula, have paid dividends um, right now. And so back to the even earlier where we talked about the link between strategy and leadership. And again, I think this is Michael Porter who said this, that strategy and leadership are inextricably linked. And this is why leadership requires you at times to make difficult choices and sometimes be unpopular. Uh, and I forgot who it was who said this, but they said leadership isn't about like thinking, uh, leading from above, but often it's leading from a time horizon in front. I Meaning you got to think a year or two years in front of everyone. Mm. And when you're thinking, two years from now where things are going to be and your team is stuck in where things are right now and people have a tendency to not want to change. That's very difficult. And so you, you really leadership's about helping people understand that the decisions you're making today are going to be really good for the future. I mean, we even had a great example of this when we decided to give away some software for free, there were some salespeople who were extremely upset at us because they were like, why am I out there burning sales cycles? to talk about something we're giving away for free. This is like, and some of them just told us straight up, this is stupid. And you know, some of them aren't with Flip anymore and they weren't and they left, but that was <laughs> their choice. And you know what, they went and, and they're gonna be successful somewhere else and so it's great. And so I think the, the reason strategy and leadership are, are connected is there's strategy uh, um, requires you to be disciplined because you can't go off strategy. If you go off strategy, then all the decisions you make up front mean nothing. You're going to get distracted and the whole fabric of the strategy will start tearing and falling apart and you're going to end up with mediocrity. And so um, as a leader too, one of the hardest things I have to do is I have to tell these really smart people that their awesome idea, which will work, we are not pursuing your awesome idea for lead generation, for selling, for uh, uh, account management, I, it's, it will work, I tell them. This is a great idea, but we will not do it because it's not right for Flip. And that is very hard to tell people, very hard. And it's only strong leadership. Uh, it requires a lot of strong leadership to be able to do that and tell them in a way where they're gonna be on board with it. So I think it's really important that if you're gonna go down this strategic route, that you really focus on developing your leadership alongside of it. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, insight and and a really a nugget you're sharing with us right there, and uh, yeah, it it reminds me of the good to great books from Jim Collins where they say it's it's not only the choices you make that you should invest in, but also the stop doing lists and what you actively say no to basically that also defines your strategy just as much as the yeses and the, the initiative so to say that you want to drive so that is a good example of how you say no to good ideas that might work or could work definitely but that's not the right choice for your strategy to implement that that's so great yeah and you know what jim collins that's funny you mentioned it that book uh, like from the founders of the company served as uh, like, uh, a, it was uh, almost religious. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it, it really was. So, so it's a, it's a good observation, but that, that was, that book was like served as a foundation for a lot of the choices and guided the company. I think there, another one was around uh, Jim Collins suggesting get the right people on the bus, like focus on the people. The people really, really matter. In fact, 
uh, I just finished our annual letter to the sales team where I reviewed, you know, last year, 2020, and what we've learned. And one of the first thing I wrote is people continue to be our most strategic and biggest competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that was from Jim Collins, a lot of it. Exactly, exactly. Well, Adam, that's a lot of insights you have shared with us here today. I'm so grateful for your... Uh, for your uh, generosity around insights and experiences and, and the models that have you obviously got to work so well at Flip. So thank you so much for your time. We could keep on chatting here for, for probably an hour or two more, but I know you're a busy guy and it's Black Friday when we're recording this. So one of probably the most busy day for Flip in the whole year, I suppose. <laughs> so You got it. Thank you, yeah. Jacob, so much for having me. Um, and I, I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adam, and uh, good luck with all your endeavors at Flip in the future. So, thank you. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com